Hello, Tune FM. You're listening to 106.9. Zoe joining you in the studio to interrupt your regular listening now with a very special interview. We have um, one of our lovely uni academics in, Nathan Wise. Introduce yourself. Good morning. Yeah, hi, I'm Nathan Wise. I'm Associate Professor of Public and Applied History here at UNE. So I teach a lot of our history units, foundation history, uh, war in Australian society, public history, but most of my research is in the field of sort of military labour, uh, sort of like military history, labour history, economic history, and blending those all together. Oh, fantastic. Um, so we're here today to talk about World War II. There is a new movie coming out, it's called Midway, and it focuses on a battle in the Pacific in the 1940s. Yeah, indeed. This is um, one of the most important um, battles, also widely regarded as the turning point of the Second World War. So up until this point, uh, Japan had been expanding throughout Southeast Asia and throughout the Pacific. They had been pretty much progressing unchecked by the Allies. They hadn't really lost the battle. Um, they'd captured, uh, swept down the Malay Peninsula in December, January. Uh, they had captured Singapore in February. On the 19th of February, they started bombing Darwin, the first attack on Darwin. They started bombing targets in northern Australia. They had invaded the northern coast of New Guinea, captured the Dutch East Indies, what we now call Indonesia. And they did this to secure um, resources in the area, mainly oil, to fuel their war machine. Having completed that, they now set their sights on their next, basically, strategic objective, which was to eliminate the threat of the USA. Pearl Harbor was a surprise, they damaged the US um, Navy, but they hadn't been knocked out and they wanted to inflict a killing blow on the USA. They wanted to basically bring about peace, secure their empire by inflicting this killing blow. And thus they set their sights on Midway. Midway was a very important position in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It was close to Pearl Harbor. Uh, it would give the Japanese uh, an airfield right in that location. And their plan was basically to bait the US Navy out into a fight. And so Yamamoto uh, sent this massive naval force out, uh, spearheaded by, well, actually, in advance of this force, there were submarines screening, followed by these four big aircraft carriers, uh, and then this larger invasion force and battleships and cruisers and so forth. And they wanted to trick the Americans by attacking Midway, well, invading Midway, and then getting this US fleet out to respond where they hoped and planned to destroy the US fleet and bring the US government to the negotiation table to negotiate and end the war. That was their plan. It didn't quite work out of that. And in fact, um, the US, US uh, launched an ambush on the Japanese, which ultimately, <laughs> spoiler alert, they destroyed four of the Japanese uh, biggest aircraft carriers, um, forced back this invading force and turned the tide of the war. From that point on, the Japanese never really launched another major offensive and they're on the back foot from that point on in June 1942 all the way through until uh, late 1945. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, so obviously there was a huge difference between, you know, obviously World War One, which started with like horses and um, manpower and involved to tanks and um, Midway is a couple months after Pearl Harbor, couple months after the Battle of Coral Sea. How important in World War Two was like naval forces? Absolutely, yeah. The Pacific theatre in particular. So the European theatre of war was all about um, 
manpower and, and land forces. You talk about millions of troops fighting. In the Pacific, uh, the, the aircraft carrier was the weapon of war. And earlier in the war, the Japanese certainly had uh, arguably an advantage here. They had experienced crew, um, a very experienced um, pool of naval officers, experienced air crew, uh, superior aircraft as well in 1941, 1942. And this enables them to expand throughout the Pacific. Um, their, their carrier forces go where they expand. Um, and, and, and they head into Midway with this advantage. They believe, well, they, they don't, the Japanese don't know what they're going to encounter, but they believe they have this advantage. They have these four carriers. Uh, I've got their names written down somewhere. The Akagi, the Kaga, the Soryu, and the Huryu. They're supported by two light carriers with Yamamoto's main force, all these battleships. The Americans... In, in and around Pearl Harbor and Hawaii, this area, they only have two carriers present at the time, the Enterprise and the Hornet. Now, just a month earlier, there had been the Battle of the Coral Sea. Um, many people might be aware of this. It's just off the northern tip of Australia, northeastern Australia, Queensland, uh, where a Japanese invasion force heading for Port Moresby had been defeated by the Americans. And that planned invasion for Port Moresby had been basically cancelled. Um, the invasion force had to pull back. The Yorktown was at this battle and Japanese dive bombers had so heavily hit the Yorktown with bombs that they believed they had sunk the Yorktown. In fact, the repair crews of the Yorktown managed to quickly patch it up and it limped all the way back to Pearl Harbor where in 48 hours they had, well, let me say, in peacetime these repairs would take two months to accomplish. They rushed all these repair crews onto the Yorktown and they repaired the ship within 48 hours and sent her out to, North, uh, to, to Midway such that they had the Enterprise, the Hornet, and then the Yorktown, which, whilst damaged, was serviceable and had a, uh, roughly about 60 to 70 aircraft on it. So the Japanese heading towards Midway with these four aircraft carriers and around 220-odd aircraft wanted to bombard Midway, destroy the airfield, and then invade the island. And the Americans responded with a surprise force of three serviceable aircraft carriers. And you have then this pretty much even battle, roughly 220 to 300 aircraft fighting, really, um, over the course of what would happen in the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, um, Midway, the turning point of, like, the Pacific Theatre in World War II, why do you think it failed? Excellent question. Well, look, you'll have a lot of scholars talking about, um, American historians like to talk about American naval superiority or American air superiority and better pilots, blah, blah, blah. To be honest, I think they just got... And this is the, the big turning point. This is one of the biggest naval victories for America in, in their history, arguably. Destroying four aircraft carriers. Um, to put this in perspective, the Japanese built four aircraft carriers during the course of the war. They commissioned four fleet carriers during the course of the war. And in this one day, or over two or three days, the Americans had destroyed four of their aircraft carriers. This, the, the Japanese simply cannot rebuild. Um, they don't have the industrial ca capacity to rebuild those carriers. But ultimately, I argue, it comes down to luck. The Americans were immensely lucky with the timing of their attacks. They were immensely lucky with the, the damage inflicted by their bomb hits. Uh, they were immensely lucky with their reconnaissance flights, which found this Japanese fleet. Uh, and they were immensely lucky that the, the Hornet and the Enterprise, two of those carriers, escaped unscathed. The Yorktown was eventually sunk. Um, 
but it was lucky to survive that attack in uh, the Coral Sea, lucky to be repaired within 48 hours. Civilian repair crews travelled with the Yorktown out to Midway, kept repairing over the next four days, uh, and it was lucky to survive a lot of bomb hits. Basically what happened is, if I can go through what happened on the battle, on the 4th of June, um, the Japanese began launching their air attacks on Midway. About 108 aircraft from those four carriers tried to bombard the airfield and uh, oil reserves, hangars on Midway. They did a lot, of, a lot of damage to those uh, facilities and the buildings in the area, but the airfield remained relatively unscathed and still serviceable, which meant that, that roughly 100 aircraft that were based on Midway could attack the invading force as it came in. So when those 108 rough aircraft returned to the Japanese carriers, they said, we need a second strike wave, we need to attack again. As the Japanese uh, and their Vice Admiral Nagumo were preparing to relaunch, this counterwave of American aircraft from Midway initially started to come in. And Japanese doctrine stated that when a carrier fleet is under attack, you have to clear the, hangar, the, the, the flight deck and enable what are called combat air patrols, basically fighter aircraft, to have priority to defend um, the aircraft carriers. So as these bombers are coming in, there are, there are B-17 bombers, uh, there are dive bombers, torpedo bombers, trying to sink these, these Japanese aircraft carriers. And these combat air patrols, um, the famous Mitsubishi Zero fighters, are trying to defend these carriers. They have priority. These, these American waves of attacks keep coming in hour after hour. Um, so from roughly 8 a.m. in the morning through till 10.30, uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, you have sort of three hours of almost continual attacks, which means that the Japanese cannot get this second wave off. Early in the morning, the Japanese also learn of these. Their reconnaissance finally picks up these American aircraft carriers out in the northeast of Midway. These have been laying in ambush waiting um, for these, these uh, Japanese invasion force, these carriers, and they start to launch their attacks. Ultimately, um, the Americans get lucky, I think. Um, they launch, they, they, they score direct hits on the Kaga initially. Three aircraft are diverted to the Akagi, where there is one hit scored on this, I think it's the flagship of the, this, this fleet, and it causes massive fires below decks in the hangars. Additional waves of aircraft strike at the, uh, what did I say, it was the, the, the Soyu further to the north, and it also catches fire. So three of these four Japanese aircraft carriers score unlucky hits, and they catch fire, and they sink over the coming days. The Huyu launches um, a counterattack on the Yorktown, and it survives these attacks and basically bears the brunt of all these, these Japanese counterattacks, and it then retreats from the battle, but it's pursued by aircraft from the Enterprise, and it's sunk as, as well. Um, all of this, I argue, comes down to very fortunate timing of the American attacks that prevent the Japanese from launching counterattacks and waves against these um, American carriers. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, doing my background research, um, I found that um, American cryptographers were able to figure out from the Japanese messages uh, where the next target was and that it was in fact Midway. Yeah. And we hear a lot in other parts of World War II, like the Enigma machine and stuff like that. How important were cryptographers in the overall Absolutely. I mean, this Midway, as I said, was a turning point. It was one of the most important battles of the Second World War. And it all happened because of these crypto analysts um, decoding Japanese messages. Now, they, they, it's, it's a fascinating story behind these. They, they had a base uh, in uh, Pearl Harbor known as 
uh, Hypo. There was another base in Melbourne known as Fremel, and they were the two main crypto analytical intelligence sections decoding these messages. But they didn't have um, full access to these Japanese codes. They could only decipher about 10% of what they were sending through. Um, and they had to work largely on guesswork to figure out what the messages meant, what the other words were, and so forth. So of all the messages sent, 10% were f partly or fully decoded, and then they were basing, you know, trying to fill in the gaps. They began to pick up information about this attack on this location known as AF. So throughout sort of May, they're getting these messages, May 1942, they're getting messages about uh, the Japanese are planning this invasion, big invasion of AF, and they didn't quite know where this was. And so to try to draw the information out, um, what's his name? Rochefort, I think, was in head of the intelligence. He asked all these key locations, American locations in the Pacific, to report a mechanical fault. And the commanding officer on Midway reported that his uh, freshwater tanks had failed and they needed a repair crew to come out. And the Japanese intercepted this message and then reported back to home, ah, location AF has reported broken freshwater tanks, they need help. And thus, they were able to figure out that location AF meant midway. It enabled um, Nimitz, who was in command of the whole Pacific Theatre, to uh, get the Enterprise and the Hornet ready to bring the Yorktown back to Pearl Harbour, to get this ambush all set up and to effectively destroy those, those four carriers. So all of that really comes down to the work of those um, crypto analysts and, and decoding those Japanese messages and setting up this ambush and turning yeah. the tide of the war. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and because it's such the turning point, if things had gone differently, what would have happened then if Japan had been successful and yeah. been able to invade? Yeah, look, this is uh, into the realm of uh, Kana history. We can, we can explore so many different narratives here. Uh, had the Japanese won... Had the, had, had the crypto analysts not intercepted these messages, had they not known, uh, the Hornet and the Enterprise may well have been based in Pearl Harbor. The Japanese certainly, there would have been very little stopping them from seizing Midway. From Midway and with Yamamoto's main fleet, I think he had eight battleships, numerous heavy cruisers and destroyers, this massive fleet. Um, from Midway, they could have then bombed the main American naval base at Pearl Harbor. Their plan here, as I said earlier, was to... Um, force the Americans out of the war. So they probably, or possibly, could then have destroyed the American fleet at Pearl Harbor. Possibly that could have brought the US to the negotiating table, and there possibly could have been uh, a Japanese victory in the Pacific. If not, if the Americans weren't brought to the negotiating table, which I think is probably more likely, then the Japanese would have isolated Australia. That was another part of their plan, not to invade Australia, but to isolate Australia from the USA and from Great Britain, um, because Australia was being used in 42 as a staging base a staging post for millions of American service personnel who passed through. So they had planned to invade um, Fiji, um, I think Western S Samoa and islands throughout the Pacific, um, to basically control those sea lanes, to prevent the US communicating with Australia, to isolate Australia and New Zealand. Um, yeah, it would have been disastrous. Uh, so those crypto analysts, the work of Nimitz and Rochefort and others, um, saved Australia from isolation, saved Fiji and Pacific Islands from invasion, saved the Pacific theatre uh, of war. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, I know watching the trailer for the new movie that's coming out, and I know it's not all fact, um, but it is, they have done a lot to sort of keep it to fact. 
Is it possible that Japan could have gone into mainland USA? I don't think so. Um, I mean, they even they, they discussed invading Australia, but it, it was discounted as um, unfeasible. It was just discussed. Uh, I don't know if they were ever discussing invasion of the USA. Certainly, certainly Pearl Harbor, Midway, um, but mainland USA would have been, I think, far too logistically difficult. Yeah. It's a long way from all their resources in Japan. They didn't want to conquer. Part of the Japanese strategic aims here were to create what they call their Greater East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere, um, which was where they tried to get all these Southeast Asian nations to um, cast off the yoke of what we can call Western imperialism. The British, the Dutch, the French had all colonised these um, Southeast Asian states. And the Japanese were arguing that they were liberating these people, which they were to some extent, but... In, in casting off, in, in getting rid of, for example, the Dutch in the Dutch East Indies, they replaced Dutch authorities with Japanese authorities, and they fueled all those resources and all that labour towards fueling the Japanese war effort. Um, it was a good story, uh, and it would have been nice if they were genuine about this, but uh, they were fascists who were fueling the fascist war, mach- war machine, basically. So, mm. yeah, um, they didn't want to conquer America or to conquer Australia. Uh, they wanted. Um, to create a sphere, a Japanese empire in the Pacific, which by 1942 they had achieved. They had that. They just then wanted to knock America out of the war um, in mid-42. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, Midway definitely sounds like one of the most important battles throughout World War II that we don't hear about the most. Why would that be? Um, From Australian perspectives, the Battle of the Coral Sea is more important. Kokoda is happening shortly afterwards. So the Battle of the Coral Sea was the first setback for the Japanese. Um, It was tactically actually a Japanese victory, but because their invasion plans for Port Moresby were stopped, it was a strategic allied victory because they had to cancel their invasion plans. Following the the failure of Coral Sea, they they, they decided to invade uh, across New Guinea by land, across the Kokoda Trail, and the Australians halted that just outside Port Moresby. and, and, and Kokoda and, and the Coral Sea are more important to Australians. So here in Australia, we hear more about that. We certainly hear a lot more about Kokoda. Um, but following Midway, there's also this, the Solomon Islands campaign is taking place. Guadalcanal commences. This is the uh, intense and, and uh, horrific um, in, invasion of Guadalcanal, which tries to get, get the Japanese out of the, the Solomon Islands. Um, it's 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 also a very confusing battle to follow. I've, I've basically summarised the Battle of Midway, but to really understand the battle, you have to go into sort of minute-by-minute minute detail and understand the timing of um, of aircraft, of the, the, the requirements of landing a strike fleet on your deck and then refuelling, rearming. It's a very difficult battle to understand, and a lot of people, I guess, know it's important, but don't go into that detail. Um, there are some great books on the subject um, and the movie coming out. There's an earlier movie from... I think the 1960s, yeah. they generally, they follow, you know, historical events pretty well. And there's some key characters in there. Um, yeah, I think, I think they, they give a flavour for the history quite well. Yeah, okay. Uh, one of my last questions is a bit more general and obviously tied more to your work in history. How important to you is historical movies around war and things like that um, to be out to the masses? Like, how important is that? Oh, it's a very good and difficult question to answer. Um, look, I'm, I'm inspired to write history. I research history because I want to uncover the truth about the past. So we do scholarly history at UNE and our students are studying scholarly history. This is about uncovering 
the truth, pursuing the truth, what really happened in the past. I see Hollywood and, and, and war movies as um, they, they're designed, they have a different purpose. They are not designed to uncover the, the, the truth about the past. They are designed to entertain an audience. They're designed to make money um, and they sell history. Um, what Marty Hughes Warrington refers to as selling history. Um, they want to entertain an audience and they use that history. Some would say abuse or misuse that history, but they, they use that history to engage their audience. So American audiences in particular love Midway. They love Pearl Harbor. They love the history. And they are excited to see these events being recreated for their imagination. Um, and yes, while these films uh, use this historical environment uh, and they, they sell the history quite well, Scholarly historians are generally more critical of the detail. Um, they're often fabricating small bits and pieces. So I talk, we have a, a film, a, a unit dedicated to history and film called History 332 History and Film. And I talk about Baz Luhrmann's film Australia. And there's a scene in Australia where the Japanese invade an island off Darwin. And it's a complete fabrication. It never happened. But it fuels these, these myths that the Japanese invaded Australia. So we're always critical of the, the facts and the inaccuracies. Um, and we can and should criticise those inaccuracies and point them out at the same time, kind of taking a step back and saying, well, okay, well, this is not intended for scholars. We hope people will see these films. We hope people will see Midway or Australia and, and read more about the history behind this. So hopefully it inspires people to read more, go and read a good book on, on Midway or you know, the history of Australia and, and be excited about history in, in other ways. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you want to throw out there? Well, I haven't or? seen the movie yet, but um, hopefully <laughs> I'll, I'll go see it. Um, but uh, I, I guess if, if it inspires people, read a book about history. Go read about Midway and, and, and follow that up further. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Nathan, Thanks. for coming in. Um, well, it kind of makes me want to take a history unit now. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, thank you so much again. Um, honestly, very, very interesting. I find it, like, all the information and just what happens throughout and stuff we don't usually hear about, just very interesting. But, yeah, thank you so much for coming in. If you're a history student, definitely take one of Nathan's units. Um, I can just see how into it that you are. Uh, but, yeah, you guys are listening to Tune FM 106.9, and we're going to have Echo Beach by Martha and the Muffins up next. Thank you. 